Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. I wonder what we mean when we think about the whole of learning. There are lots and lots of ways that we can think about that. Intellectual, physical, emotional, social, spiritual. These are just some of the dimensions of learning. And these are just some of the dimensions of Tim Barrett, who is the quite extraordinary director of the St Andrews Institute of Learning on the beautiful Sunshine Coast of the great state of Queensland. Tim's an educator who's absolutely passionate about developing the whole person from the whole child through a whole education. He's travelled over the whole world. I'm just wholly excited about talking with him today. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our series premium sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course. We are delighted to be partnering with the team at Open Parachute. If you want to teach mental health to your students, but you don't have time to become an expert, Open Parachute can help. Learn more at openparachute.com.au. Phil, it is awesome to, to be with you again, and I hope everything is well there in beautiful, sunny Fitzroy on this glorious Melbourne day. Oh, look, Adriana, it's, it's just a perfect day, isn't it? I just stepped the back just then, and I found half a dozen beardy persons with fixies just sitting there and staring into the sunshine and muttering to each other about rare tracks that they'd heard on Double J earlier today. So all I can say is everything is well. How are things at Sunshine West, mate? Uh, Sunshine West is great, but clearly we're not we're not uh, being uh, uh, blessed with wonderful wisdom as you are right now with bearded, tattooed uh, hipsters riding their fixies up and down the uh, the back streets there of, of and the mean streets of Fitzroy. But anyway, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to our very, very uh, important guest here today, uh, and, and that's young Tim, uh, all the way there from uh, the, the Sunshine Coast. Tim, it is wonderful to have you here on the Game Changers Series 6 podcast. I'm going to get straight into it, Tim. The very first question that we ask all of our Game Change guests is tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into where you are today. Thanks for having me, guys. Avid listener, and you've been a great motivator for me as I've been on my runs around Noosa National Park, so thank you for that. Uh, it's great to be able to have a conversation with you. I guess for, for me, my schooling, like like many, sadly, I was uh, I enjoyed school, but I was quite disengaged. I look back now and see the, the pedagogy that was in play, and it wasn't good at all, which was disappointing, but that was just life. And I got through year 12. I actually joined the Army, and I wanted to be a PE teacher, and this was a great way to do some service and get a scholarship to go through university that way. So in the army, I actually uh, had my second bad experience of, of teaching and learning. And I don't know if you realize, but in the army, you actually have to, to learn a lot. You learn a lot about weapons, you learn about a strategy, um, structure. But the way they deliver it is probably the most boring, archaic way possible. You, you're sitting in rows, there's no air conditioning, and guys are already tired, they're falling asleep. The sergeant out the front isn't a teacher, doesn't want to be there. He's, he's not engaging, he's just, you know, waffling on. Guys are getting in trouble because they're not interested and not listening. And so it was just appalling. So I 
plucked up the courage one day and I went up to the sergeant and I said, look, I really want to learn what you're teaching me. I know it's going to save my life. It's going to save, you know, the guys around me. Do you think you can make it a little bit more interesting? Can you think you can have some discussion or some questions or just do something? And I'd like to say he took that on board and it was changed, but he just ended up swearing at me profusely and made me do push-ups and continued as normal. But I remember that was a significant point because I remember thinking, do you know what? When I'm a teacher, I'm going to make sure my students are engaged and I'm going to at least try and empathise to, to know how they're experiencing things so to know that I'm connecting and that they're actually going to learn. So for me, I, I remember that vividly. So I went on, did my uh, study, I became a PE teacher, met my wife at uh, the school I worked at, independent school in Sydney. Um, uh, top tip for young teachers out there, if you're going to find a partner, try and find someone who's also a teacher. So you get the school holidays together. Otherwise, you just end up getting a list of jobs to do while they're working. So it's not good. So that's that's my free advice along the way. But uh, after a few years, um, I actually went back and did some uh, more study. I did a, a degree in theology, uh, majoring in world religions, uh, wanting to move more into chaplaincy and welfare roles, which I did. And uh, I started doing that. Um, had a few different roles, but found myself leaning more towards the innovation side of things. And I was at a, a school that was quite progressive and innovative, and I ended up teaching studies of religion in the HSC uh, in three uh, models simultaneously. So I had face-to-face uh, -face teaching, blended, and then online all at the same time. Mm. And uh, surprisingly, my online students actually did the best. I don't know, because they didn't have me in the classroom or what it was, but they could just get through their work. And I think the highest mark we got was seventh seventh in the state for studies of religion, never saw her in class. She just did her work and it was brilliant. So that was that was an eye-opener even before remote learning, that, that you could have success uh, and not actually be in, in the room at the same time. I was very fortunate uh, where I worked. We did a number of uh, tours around the world looking at different schools, universities, looking at furniture, classroom design. Uh, but the, the main thing I got out of that was the journey. And, and yes, you are looking at some really interesting buildings and talking to some people and seeing what's happening and getting ideas. But the journey along the way, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says uh, iron um, sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And, and having that discussion along the way of people who are passionate about changing education, looking at the whole child, was just so formative for me uh, in how I viewed things. So that was fun. It was exciting. I feel very fortunate to have done that. Uh, I met my uh, current boss actually on one of those tours and we used to holiday up in Noosa, great place to live and a position opened up. So I moved up here about six years ago and we have done some great things. We've, we've started St Andrews Institute of Learning, a research and innovation hub within the college and we've got some um, great projects on the go and uh, really trying to uh, set students up for future success. So really enjoying things at the moment uh, here with my family on the beautiful Sunshine Coast. Tim, you talk about sharpening iron from Proverbs. If we go elsewhere in Proverbs, we talk about catching flies with honey. And so if we're going to talk about engagement and connection, if we're going to talk about the way in which we involve kids, we need to think about the way this works and how we best engage kids. What advice do you have out there for teachers and educators who are struggling to get kids engaged, particularly at a time like this, which is particularly disrupted? Yeah, look, getting students engaged, I always say you need to think like a kid. 
you know, and, and that's hard because for some of us, you know, everyone's different. You know, you may have been at school, a very compliant student. You may have sat, just done your work, beautiful book work. Or you may, may have been someone more like me who, who found it hard to pay attention for long periods of time, uh, you know, constantly distracted, love talking to other people. So, so everyone's different. But I think the key thing and what we're trying to do here at St Andrews is that concept of voice and choice empowering students to take ownership of their own learning giving them choice in what they're doing based around their interests their passions and actually connecting it to something that's relevant you know how often do you hear kids saying why are we doing this and the teacher said well it's in the textbook it's in the curriculum we actually need to help them to see how this is going to be a benefit in the future so that relevance but actually allowing them and supporting them to have choice in what they do and what they learn and how they do that I think it's quite a powerful thing. Uh, we're actually doing an action research project at the moment on uh, voice and choice, and we're working with students in year seven and year 11. And we're taking little pilot groups and we're just getting some data. And one of the, the projects I'm working on is in, uh, I teach uh, Christian education for year 11. And rather than in the past where we've, we've taken a, a unit, everyone learns at the same time, we're doing the same thing. We've actually, given them voice and choice and, and use it a, a bit of a blended model where we're actually saying, okay, here's three topics, okay, which one most resonates with you? What do you most want to learn about? Here's how you can work through at your own pace. Uh, you can stop, you can dig a bit deeper. And rather than me delivering the information, I'm walking around answering those really deep questions that come out of the learning they're going on and I can spend time doing that. So we've found uh, just from data we're getting back from students is their engagement levels uh, are through the roof as opposed to uh, just all working in that batch model of, of everyone learning at the same time. So I guess just one practical example uh, that we're seeing here at the college. That's terrific, Tim. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a stab and guess that the voice and choice thing that you're talking about features heavily in your global learning program, which has been recognised as the winner of the best co-curricular program at the Australian Educator Awards in both 2019 and 2020. Can you talk to our learners what this program is and how students have responded to the type of learning encounters that they uh, they provided within it? Well, this program uh, came about um, just out of, I think, necessity. Um, look, Noosa, beautiful place to live. If, if there's any downside uh, to Noosa is that we are quite monocultural. Like it, it is like our school is, you know, not diverse at all. And that's that's nothing wrong with that nothing to be ashamed of it it's just the reality but as i say that is not the reality for most of the world you 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 go to a larger city you go to university you work um, with people around the world you're going to need to have and know how to interact cross-culturally and, and have that awareness and understanding so this global learning program actually came out of that need for the students here on the sunshine coast to actually get a little bit more understanding and we've taken it in different aspects, we've got, you know, even in Christian ed class and our, our personal capacity classes, we're learning about uh, culture, we're learning about how to communicate, we're, we're gaining understanding. But the trips that we do overseas, so we do experiential learning trips and service trips, um, are really quite key. And now I know sometimes we say service trips and, and you can start to shudder because I know a lot of them are done not in the right way. And as the, you know, the great uh, hope from uh, developing developed countries over to developing, but we really try and have a mindset for our students that we are going to learn and to partner in an in a equal footing. 
And uh, part of this um, global program is, is we've partnered with the uh, Center for Cultural Intelligence in the US, and we do uh, cultural intelligence testing pre and post trip. So we can actually get some data on how students have improved in their knowledge and their strategies and their action around cultural intelligence. And rather than just coming back, as many schools would say, oh, it was a fantastic trip. The kids loved it. You know, they had a great time. We can actually go to our council and say, yeah, it was a great trip. We did this. But our students' um, strategy in, in cultural awareness increased 30%. So we've got, got that data uh, to show for it. And it's actually quite a powerful thing. And the students can reflect on that and it's equipping them for life. But they have choice to opt in of where they go, whether it's a, a, a trip to a service trip or experiential learning. Or one of our, we've got 10 partner schools around the world that we do exchanges with as well um, and do that. So it is key, but it is all opt-in from the students uh, in how they take up those opportunities. Tim, it is it is wonderful to uh, to sit here and listen to what you're sharing with us about learning opportunities that go beyond the walls of the classroom. There's no doubt that knowledge and skill and, and disposition acquisitions uh, that happen in the classroom continue to have a place, but so much of, uh, of a young person's growth and achievement I'm hearing is occurring beyond the walls of the school uh, to, help, to help this community that you serve understand their place, not only in their local, their regional, but their global context and how they can contribute to the continual formation of that. I often wonder why we do certain things in schools and, and, and a school community's ability to kind of clearly make the case for embedded or emerging practices in ways that actually align to their beliefs about what learning is and their deepest values and commitments to children is, I believe, is really critical in creating experiences that will ensure young people thrive in their future. Mm. How have you built the case for service learning in your school for it to be such a profound learning framework and opportunity for the young people in your care? Look, I don't um, think you have to go too far to find articles, you know, research, prominent businessmen and women talking about the things that they are looking for are those uh, are skills and capabilities in young people that are, help, are going to help them be successful in the future. I think, you know, knowledge can only take you so far, but it's the ability to um, show that you can persevere when things are tough, that grit, that, that resilience, that self-regulation, all those things. Let's pause for a moment to remind our listeners about the important work of Open Parachute for Wellness in Schools. You know your students are struggling with their mental health, but you're not a trained therapist. Open Parachute can help you. Learn more at openparachute.com.au. Talking about equipping them with the things that are going to be successful, and that's not necessarily just knowledge. And what we've done even just this year is we've rechanged our strategic plan to actually have a, a section of it called personal capacity. And we believe that uh, building the personal capacity of our students and staff is really critical for their future success. So that's one of our you know, kind of strategic uh, areas that starts right from our little saints, so our even you know preschool students, right through to our students on a gap year program over in Scotland, that we are focusing on growing that personal capacity. And out of that, the skills that they have there will lead to them being able to flourish and, and have that well-being and being positive con contributors to society. So it's at the very heart of uh, the school's DNA. Yeah, look, that's super powerful. And, and, and it's great that as a leadership 
there's a real commitment to embedding it into a, you know, a strategic direction forward uh, so that the young people can continue to have these opportunities where they can opt in uh, and experience learning through moments of deep encounter with with other people, with place, and of course, ultimately themselves. Uh, I want to kind of interrogate this this a little bit further around the notion of self-determination. And you've already touched upon uh, the the space of student agency. Mm. To what extent do you believe that the learners in your school community are now ready and able to pursue learning on their own terms, deciding for themselves what, when, and how to learn? So I also, um, through through SAIL, Sinead's Institute of Learning, we have a project uh, that's ongoing uh, at the moment called the Headway Project. And it came out of remote learning. And it's how do we make progress through challenging times as, as a college community? And I love the title, because even though things are a bit rocky, a bit, bit bumpy, that we're still, we're still moving forward. So uh, a key part of Headway is how do we take those elements that look, and, and look, we'll be honest, we, we weren't in remote learning for that long, but we we're in long enough for everyone to go, hey, you know what? Our students are doing things a new way. Our, our staff are forced to uh, adapt and, and go further than many of them had before. But the feedback, because we we got feedback from every student and every family post-remote learning on how they found the learning how much they learned, how much they enjoyed it, how much they loved the independence, the autonomy, the, the self-pacing. And it was just overwhelming, overwhelming that the students thrived having that independence and flexibility and taking ownership, that learner agency. So we're looking, how can we now, we're back to relative normal up here on the Sunshine Coast, how can we embed some of those things as a college, get that consistency and move forward? And through, you know, most schools, you know, have learning management systems. That That is an amazing tool that you can do that. You can up upskill your staff. You can get things online. You just need to have them, I suppose, understand the why. Why are we wanting to move this? Why are we taking the, the control from the teacher and handing, you know, not all of it, but, but a lot of it over to the students? What is the benefit of that? I think we're doing a good job in actually showing their staff that once the students do have ownership of that, their own learning, once they do have control, it is so much more powerful for them, their, their learning goes through the roof and their engagement increases. So this is what it comes back to. So yeah, there are quite a few uh, little uh, checkpoints on the list of where we're aiming for. Uh, we're aiming, uh, one on the list just came to mind because I was chatting about it today, is getting to a point where if you know a student is heightened or they've had some you know, blow up or something's happened at lunchtime and they know that they're not ready to go into class because they just know they're either going to be distracting to everyone else, they're not going to be able to focus. Imagine if they could just take themselves to a room, check in with someone, see how their welfare is, their well-being is, but then just do the work online by themselves and not wreck the learning environment because they know they're not in a place, they're not ready to learn in that environment. So there's some things that are very practical that we've got in the pipeline that we're going to be rolling out. Uh, Tim, it sounds as though I need that place for me at least two or three times a day. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all take ourselves to a little room? Yes, exactly. We just that's the point, just, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Like when, when staff, if we need, if we know we can't get work done because someone's being a goose in the staff room, we go and we take ourselves just to get stuff done because we know we need to get it done. Why don't Why don't we let students do that? Why do we make them stay in a room with everyone and and just expect that they're going to 
be ready to learn when they know they're not themselves. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. I guess the thing about being the adult is recognising when you're being the goose. Let's pause for a moment to remind our listeners about the important work of Open Parachute for Wellness in Schools. You know your students are struggling with their mental health, but you're not a trained therapist. Open Parachute can help you. Learn more at openparachute.com.au. Tim, I want you to I want you to imagine for a second that you've got a teacher in an elevator with you and you've got four floors to go downstairs. So you have no more than 25 seconds. <coughs> what is the St Andrews Institute of Learning? So it's a, a research and innovation hub that seeks to uh, empower people within the, the college to uh, take the ideas and the things happening here to the outside world, but also a portal where connections and ideas can come into the college to inform best practice for the benefit of our students. How would you know you're doing a good job? So, so SAIL actually came about um, through the work of Professor John Cotter from Harvard. And he talks a lot about these this uh, dual operating systems. If you want an organisation to be agile, to be creative, to be able to be flexible and move forward, sometimes the thing stopping that is these structures. And we know in, in schools that we, you, know, you have your hierarchies, you have your, your line manager, your person you report to. And that kind of makes things easy. But the problem with that is if you're stuck in a, in a faculty, and I don't want to stereotype it, say you're stuck in a maths faculty, and it's it's not innovative, it's not really going anywhere, but you're a young, excited maths teacher and you want to try some new things, but the person above you is saying, no, let's just stick to how we've always done something. We're getting good results in our you know, exams. How do you bring life into that subject? So this idea of having a dual operating system is you layer over the top another operating system that people can opt into. So you can actually uh, have some support. You can... Uh, cross-pollinate, you have um, a voice that you can uh, share with like-minded people. And so it allows there to be life and enthusiasm and energy in all parts of the college, not just limited to the silos of line managers. So that was the kind of the concept behind that. And so what's happening at the moment is we're seeing pockets of innovation pop up all over the college connected through sale. And the, the professional development of the staff actually comes out of sale. So when we're researching and when we're doing things in the college, we're getting pilot programs and research grants. It then feeds, once it's working, we know in the context of St Andrews, it's being successful. We can then come through the professional development and feed it through to all staff and do it that way. So that's kind of, I've kind of forgotten what the question was, but I think that kind of did that answer it. <laughs> so, so it's a really interesting picture of, uh, of organisational learning, isn't it? Where, where you're saying, what we're going to do is see how many fires we can light around the place. And where we see that spark, we're then going to commit professional learning around that mm -hmm. interest. And then yep. we're going to watch it flourish from there. Let's, let, let, let me take you just one step further, if I can. What then does good learning look like at your school, regardless of the age of the learner? What does good learning look like? And how well do you think your school is living the reality of that definition of good learning at this stage? Look, I think students doing, we, we talk about personal best here at the college a lot. And I think that's good because students will learn that every student is different. And we really have a belief that every student has you know, unique, you know, God-given gifts and abilities that we want to actually bring to the fore. We want to actually help them to be who they're 
been created to be. And that's going to look different. And I think this whole idea of learner agency, linking that to what the students are passionate about and getting them lost in their learning and growing and developing in that and having ability to try and fail, that permission to fail and take risk, I think is so important because you learn so much. And I think if we're seeing that around the college and if, if we're demonstrating that as staff, I think that's a big thing. We need to be modeling being good learners ourselves. I always talk about going to, to conferences or listening to you know this podcast or that podcast to the students so they know that know that you know learning doesn't just stop when you finish school or finish university. You continue to learn all through your life. And having the skills to be able to do that is really important. So when good learners is not just about actually acquiring knowledge, it's about having the skills to learn, the skills to persevere the skills to self-regulate when you want to get distracted by your phone or someone else to actually stay on task. And if we see those in practice, um, that's when we know good learning is happening. And look, like all schools, we are on a journey. I'm not going to sit here and say we, we have it all together because we don't. And I know there's other schools who may be more advanced than us down the track. Uh, we're a relatively young school. We're only 15 years old. So that comes with great benefits. We don't have the, the baggage, if you like, of a, a more traditional school with how it's always been done or maybe old boys or old girls kind of wishing that things were the same as when they were at school. So we can actually have that freedom and flexibility to try some new things. I mean, the Sunshine Coast is a huge hotspot for entrepreneurs. So many of our parents have moved here. They can work anywhere. Like, well, you know, if I'm going to work somewhere, I'm not going to work at Fitzroy. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to work at the Sunshine Coast because I can. Not that there's anything wrong with Fitzroy, but, but that's what they do. So, so we have a network of people uh, who are that way inclined already. That allows us, because they get it. When we talk about, yeah. yeah, our students have to have these skills, be able to, you know, think on their feet. They kind of go, yeah, because that's what I have to do every day in my business. So it makes it easy for us. It's great to hear you share with us and our listeners this kind of notion of a community of inquiry and practice. And that's really coming through strong and clear from what you're saying. What's also really refreshing is that that, inquire, that community of inquiry and practice is intentionally purposeful. Mm. And that is something that, uh, that is, is central to what we believe, particularly at A School for Tomorrow, about being intentional about the work that we do and aligning it to, to our purpose and our vision. I want, I want to look at another dimension now, and that's the human-centred element of Schools for Tomorrow. We've, we've kind of moved beyond school as being this kind of place to just to simply deliver content. And, and what's been really amplified in our conversation with you so far is that you've illustrated that. You've illustrated that, that schools and, and, and school communities and learning communities bring so much more value and will continue to bring so much more value than just content. So how can dynamic learning communities like the one that you, you're part of continue to uplift the physical, the social, emotional, the cognitive and the spiritual wellness of young people and the adults in their lives. Look, what we're trying to do is, is, is actually try and get that view of uh, that 360 degree view of young people. And we all know, you, you, you talk to every teacher, they know that, that a mark at the end of their schooling is not the summation of who a person is. You know, they're a whole person. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to capture who the student is, the learning that they are going through, not just you know, academic learning, but, but you know, social, emotional learning um, through like a, a learner a profile. 
if you like. So, so what we're doing this year is uh, we're changing. We're actually having an academic transcript of what they get at the end of the year for, for all students in secondary. But we've also got a personal capacity transcript coming back to that strategic plan. And this personal capacity transcript is actually curated by the students. There's seven categories ranging from you know, knowledge of self to, to STEM, to creativity and communication, to service and global learning, to health sport, outdoor ed, critical and design thinking, entrepreneurship. So there's different categories and there's different areas that students can actually reflect on of how they're going and kind of do a little reflection to kind of say that they've uh, achieved in that area. And so that will actually print it off in, and we're going to have a, a beautiful diagram at the end to, to kind of encapsulate who they are. And I think that's so important because how often do students come home, they get a report card and it's not flattering at all. Mm-hmm. And the student knows, you know, you're more than this. And do you know what? There's been times that I actually haven't shown my students their report card because I knew it would do more harm than good. And that's that's a, a sad indictment on our education system that we're trying to protect students because we know, do you know what? You did this this year and it was amazing. You turned up, you went to school, you gave your best, things are really hard for you, but you got through and that is a life skill that should be celebrated. What we want to do is actually try and showcase that and use it so that students and parents can actually have a conversation because often parents don't know what's going on in school conversation about these achievements their pastoral care teacher can actually see oh my goodness you did this or you achieved that are you struggling with that and they're knowledgeable and so they can continue to support them so it's actually getting visibility of the whole child and actually celebrating that and not just the fact that yeah some might get really good grades but others might not but that's not necessarily a determiner for success in life. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt that they're going to be having really rich conversations with their parents that go, go beyond, uh, you know, the old conversation of why did I get a B or why did I get a C and what didn't you do right or what could you be done more of? So much of what you, you talk about there sounds exactly like our concept of warranting practice and self-authorship by the, le- by the learner themselves. And, uh, you know, props to you and the team for, for having the courage to, to understand that the whole of learning is so significant to really better illustrate the sum of all the parts of the individual, you know, that ultimately is going to be moving forward. And, and what I'm hearing really clearly from you is that, that, yes, credentials have a place, but the greater emphasis is on education and learning and allowing that young person through that journey of growth and, and then ultimately achievement. I want to shift the conversation a little bit. The world of information and knowledge is increasingly complex, as we know, Tim. And, and I often ask myself, are we able, as learning communities, to help young people and ourselves discern truth from lies, for a reality from fantasy, that in a world where we have access to this kind of abundance of knowledge and information and people and technologies, so how does your school and your learning community currently define literacy? Yeah, look, it's a great question and something we spent a little bit of time on. Um, obviously, we're trying to educate our students that the first thing you find on a Google search is not always true or correct. And actually to get them to slow down, take time to read and to actually think And uh, we now have done training with all our students in how to use a Google Scholar to actually look at something reputable, not just because someone somewhere has done a blog post on uh, a topic, does that actually make 
it true and they can claim that. I mean, it's a, a little bit of a, a postmodern thinking about this, this whole relative truth, isn't it? What's true for you must be true and there's no absolute truth. And look, we're a faith-based school and the subject I do teach is, is Christian education. So coming from that view, and it's, it's really interesting having that discussion on what is truth with students and many of whom don't come from a faith background. And we were looking the other day at, at this idea of the historical Jesus and did Jesus exist or was he just a myth? And we actually uh, pulled up this quote uh, from uh, Joseph Hoffman, who's a, a lecturer at Oxford. And his quote was, only in the age of instant misinformation and net attack is this kind of idiocy possible. And we discussed that. And it was really interesting for the students to actually get a bit of a glimpse of, yeah, you know what, just because I watch something on you know, TikTok or something's on Instagram, and I don't actually stop and think, is that true? Is that is that right? Doesn't actually mean it's 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 truth. And we have to almost retrain young people because they're so quick to to find what they think is the solution. And it's this idea of slowing them down, actually getting them reading for meaning and getting them engaged in what they're reading and thinking about is so important, but so hard because in a way it is countercultural. And I'm sure every school is finding uh, a, a similar situation, to be honest. Tim, can I pick up on that idea of, counter, of, of the countercultural? Because so much of what you're proposing there about thinking about what literacy is, is a very contemporary view of literacy. You know, it's not, it's, 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 it's not reading and writing and, and, and so on. There's a, there's a whole contextualisation piece. There's a whole piece about purpose and identity and about situating yourself um, in relation to a set of values. Um, and, and the way in which epistemologies and ontologies all connect with each other, which a former generation would not have come across at school at all. You know, for them, it's about exam results mm. and it's about tests mm. or it's about results on a Saturday at sport and who won and who lost. It's, it's, it's the reduction of education down to simplistic numbers. I think it's one of the great strengths of education contemporary education is that it does wrestle with this notion of what truth is and how you educate for truth and how you educate for meaning and purpose. And it's, it's not just about um, a set of numbers. Numbers, as we talked about earlier, are important, but it, there's the whole of learning. So I want, I want to take you to that moment and you've got um, a young teacher with working with you and that young teacher is, is doing that thing that all teachers do which is that they're remembering one or two difficult conversations and then catastrophizing that that's their entire relationship with their parent body so they've had one or two conversations with parents who are really old school mm. around stuff and they're going oh all the parents are doing this and this and this, and this. how what advice can you give for young teachers any teachers for that matter about how to engage with parents who have a different concept of what success at school means and mm. how learning should work. I think key to that is the support from leadership. And I think if we're not doing our job as leaders to educate the parent community and on, in where we're going as a college, it makes the teacher on the ground's job really difficult. If we can, through our weekly newsletters, I mean, we've got a, um, a little podcast going for our parent community on di different issues um, that, that we're finding pop up. If we can educate them to the why of our organisation 
so that we're getting one the right people sending their students to our school and then two uh, once they're here they kind of get what we're on about it will solve half the problem so i think in in any school if the leadership are, are doing that properly and being supportive i think then that filters down and all that teacher needs to say is well this is what the way we do things here at st andrews didn't you read principal's you know newsletter last week where they explained that having autonomy as a student is actually really important and me just giving them direct instruction continually and telling them what to do so they're like little robots actually isn't helping them that much i mean we've had to re-educate some of our teachers in terms of personal capacity even in the independence of their kids that they were carrying their bags into school and we actually had to say you know what stop carrying your kids bags let them carry the bags themselves um, and because and it's important to build that, that resilience and that independence. So you always have to say the why that we're on about, but then get the support. So that teacher should never feel that they're an island out there against this sea of angry, you know, this, the angry mob baying for blood. They should feel supportive. And if that's the case, if they're still not happy, just refer them to one of the leadership team who will say, yeah, this is the way we do things. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I, I mean, there are some things which um, you need to move people forward to, but there are other things which are contemporary practice, which I think you know, perhaps it would be better if we if stuck to the old ones. I, I, I think myself that uh, it should be a standard, it should be a normal that kids catch public transport to school because that whole experience of getting on the bus or the tram or the train and travelling with other people and just being with other people and engaging and connecting in the social scene and learning to connect in that way, it's a whole lot different sitting in the back a four-wheel battle tank um, with your headphones plugged in and whatever it is playing on your, your gaming console and, mm. and so on and so on but you know it's there's a balance there isn't there between mm. the past and the future mm. how much of the work that you are doing particularly with your curriculum aligns to or addresses um, the the competencies for careers of the future or, or, or for the work of the future yeah, very much so. And that's probably grown just even in the last little while. You know, there's a lot of reports coming out from OECD, the 2030 and, and different things that we are showing us how important our future skills are. Uh, I know you had Jan Owen on um, not so long ago, obviously the work, her work, Foundation for Young Australians has actually been used quite a bit uh, here at the college. We we did things. Um, so it is super important. We we once again getting our staff upskilled uh, we did a, a pd where we actually had um, lots of newspaper articles about the future of jobs and different things around the room and staff had to go around and highlight things that jumped out at them and they went oh wow and you know it, it was a bit of an eye-opener to know that actually these these skills and capabilities are super important and are going to set the students up for success. So uh, very aware, we're, we're trying to put it in as possible. Look, we're, we're in a journey at the moment, we're trying to look at how do we measure and track the development of these capabilities. And uh, I've spoken to a lot of people, <laughs> even just recently, and there's, there's so much out there. There is so much out there, but a lot of people I talk to are still trying to find that. It's not easy. There's, there's no easy solution. And a lot of it does come back again to that self-reflection of the students. And if you can really equip them to be self-reflecting on their growth and their development, that is uh, a key part. So we're looking at doing that, but that's probably one area we're going to continue to grow further. 
So we're we're about to finish this up, uh, Tim, and it's been it's been a really uh, enlightening conversation around the work that you do and the, and the work of your community. I have one more question to you, and that's more of a kind of personal uh, kind of question around how do you see yourself evolving as an educator? Oh, I don't think I've had anyone ask me that question before. Oh, cry! <laughs> that's a really good question. You've cut to, cut me to the core right at the end, mate. <laughs> Part of it is having the confidence for these ideas and these conversations that I've had with people over the years and and the things you read, having the confidence to actually stand up and say, do you know what, this is is not fringe anymore. This is is not some crazy innovative idea. This is actually, you know, it, it should be going mainstream and it should be something that we're taking very seriously. Uh, for the, the betterment of our students. And I think for so long, you kind of seen as, oh, they're the, they're how you have the innovative team at schools. I hate that. You know, every teacher should be innovative. Every teacher should be reflecting on their practice and looking to improve, not just a few guys in a room with, you know, souped up Mac computers. It should be everyone's job to actually be continually getting better. So I think to evolve in the future would be to grow in that confidence of what we're doing has lasting benefits. And I think we'll see the results as a benefit. Yeah, look, I think it's terribly exciting about the work that you are doing and leading there in, in your particular learning community. Uh, Tim, it has been wonderful to have you on the Game Changers podcast. Thank you very much for, for your time today. And thank you very much for sharing so much of your personal journey. You know, often what comes through moments of challenge or struggle like you experienced there with your, your the sergeant in, 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 in the army is, is the great revelations about that's not the aspiration. There's some other aspiration. There's got to be a better way to do it. And uh, I'm glad that you don't get your students to do push-ups as a consequence for them simply asking a question. Uh, and uh, it's really enlightening to see that you your school continues to be recognised across this country as an exemplar in so many spaces. But the, the, that space of service learning and that space around that co-curricula where young people have the opportunity to have their eyes and, and hearts broadened about the world in which they live in so that they're not simply net takers in society, that they are actively contributing to, to their local, their regional and their global context. So, Tim, Mate, the work is amazing. Uh, we're in awe of what you do. More people have got to get out there to, to St Andrews and, and really check out what is happening and uh, much appreciated for your time today. Thanks, guys. It's been fun chatting. Good on you, Tim. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.